jokes or silly remarks be made during this interview? <laughs> All right, we got a special request here. This one goes to Gomer. Uh, no <laughs> funny jokes or remarks about my name, Nut. Uh, man, I, I, I think that's illogical. One might even say it's a little nuts. I really do like those. Those are good. What the the pads? All, the, all yeah, the pads. Yeah. All the sound effects. It's been nice. It's been nice. Let me take a minute to tell you about our friends over at CreditKarma.com. What are your financial goals? Recently, I purchased a house. I've had to refinance debt. We've had to explore credit card options to see what's best for travel. Credit Karma can help with every single one of those things because it all depends on your credit score. Credit Karma is most known for their free credit scores and credit monitoring, which is so important and so necessary today. But they also help their members with other services like finding auto insurance, opening free savings accounts, finding great credit cards, and finding a great personal loan. See, here's the the financial tools to help you succeed and to grow and to progress in your personal financial life. A lot of us are paralyzed when it comes to finances and Credit Karma can help you on the path. So for instance, a lot of people are big Dave Ramsey fans. I was a big Dave Ramsey fan. I got out of debt, but in the FIRE, Financial Independent Retire Early Movement, the idea is some credit cards incentivize their users with things like travel rewards. So here's the question. Why not buy a trip based on travel rewards? if you pay off that credit card all the time. So that's what we did. Credit Karma can help you compare rewards options so that you can find a card that fits your lifestyle, helping you earn miles or cash back for spending you're going to do anyway. And for me and the Gormley family, it's all about those miles. So in trying to progress financially, you need someone, a tool in your tool chest that can help you do just that. Comparing cards on Credit Karma is 100% free, and it will not affect your credit scores. It takes just a few minutes to sign up. What you want to do is go to creditkarma.com or the Credit Karma app to find the card for you. That's creditkarma.com. Thank you to Credit Karma for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. Let's take a moment to thank our friends over at Angie Saint Magnets. If you love the Saints, Angie Saint Magnets has a unique way for you to display all of your favorites. Artist and creator Angie spends time in prayer and reflection before drawing each Saint Magnet by hand. Each image is then professionally printed on high-quality metal magnets for your refrigerator, locker, filing cabinet, front door, or any magnetic surface in your home office or school. Angie's Saint Magnets are the perfect gift for any occasion. Their unique and charming designs appeal to all ages. Use offer code FOXES20 for 20% off, boom baby, your purchase at Angie'sSaintMagnets.com. Special discounts are available for parishes or schools ordering in large quantities for their patron saints. Angie also creates custom images for weddings, anniversaries, memorials, and other special occasions. Hand-drawn images of the saints, over 70 images, and continuing to add more. Angie Saint Magnets make the perfect gift for all occasions and all ages. They are 3x3-inch high-quality metal magnets made right here in the USA. Head on over to www.angies, keep that S in there, it's plural, saintmagnets.com. Special thanks to our friend Angie over at angiesaintmagnets.com for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. All right, how's your sound coming out? How's it? How's it sound good? I mean, it sounds good to me, but not too loud. I don't want this to be solipsistic. Am I right? No, you get your own discrete channel, so it can be as solipsistic as you want. <laughs> do, do, do.
Brian, we actually haven't said anything because you have your own pads and you keep hitting them. <laughs> Not even electronic pads. Just, it's you just, know. Just pads. Just pads. As Therese asked me, right? Dad, do you wear pads? About for your vagina. Right. Okay. And what did you say? Uh, I was anxiously looking for a pad to hit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, but Gomer does. Wait a second. Oh, crap. <laughs> what do you do when, you're, when your kids don't understand that? Because we was, I was explaining periods to my kiddo because Kateri had to uh, – we had to stop off somewhere because we were running low. Right. And my okay. son Thomas began saying, I have that. I have I have that. I'm like, no, you don't. He goes, I have that. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And he's like, whatever Kateri has, I have I have that. And I was like, no, you have boy parts, not girl parts. Mm-hmm. And he goes, and then he just gets really serious. And you could tell he's trying to think of a comeback. And he yeah. goes, sometimes I bleed. <laughs> and I was like, oh, gosh, he knows too much. He's sometimes six. I bleed. Sometimes I bleed. And I was like, getting a scab on your knee is not the same thing. No, out of my urethra, Dad. <laughs> what the holy hell i hope not kid we need to get that checked out yeah he turns out he's a two for two for one <laughs> no but what do you say to your kiddo when they're so innocent and well the thing uh well it's interesting as you said you uh, what did you say uh you have man parts or you have boy parts boy parts so yeah. ever since the rise of <clears throat> Of an inability to tell what genders are based on genitalia, I have <laughs> I have eschewed the program of always using the technical term that all these parenting specialists right. tell you to say, like call it a penis and call it a vagina. I'm like, okay. And every time I say penis and vagina to my kids, even when they were like two or three or right. whatever, I would crack up laughing because <laughs> well, I'm because I'm seven. Well, <laughs> penis. Well, Michelle's because she's a nurse. All that's. Your wife, yeah. Yeah, she just, it becomes, she's blunt on that. Yeah. So, you know, she's she goes into nurse mode, mm-hmm. even in, even talking to the kids. So That's she's funny. Like, she's like, yeah, no, this is, you know, she's like, daddy has a penis. I have a vagina. You you girls all have a vagina. And you all have one? Yeah, it's a single entity. <laughs> and, then and it's going to wreak havoc on our brains. Right, and then Celine <laughs> will say, daddy, you have a peenie. A peeny, and okay. I have a giant, and I have a giny, a giny. Okay. Right. So, what did you say to Therese? What did you say to her? Yeah. So she was talking. Michelle was just very blunt. This is what a period is. This is what happens to the woman's body. This is why God made the bo- the woman's body this way. And they're all listening attentively. And you think you've made a point? You think yep, you've like, gotten oh, through to them? And and then, but Therese is very innocent. Yeah. So she, you know, and that was I think that's the thing that was so funny, but it was moving for me. It was like here's this ten year old. Who then turns to me and says, "Dad, do you wear pads?" Like genuine yep. inquiry. Uh, and then we also we all started laughing, and so, and she got really sad and embarrassed. And right. then you just kept laughing at her more and more. Right. And she's like, "Dad, you're gonna wear pads." <laughs> and she kicked her right in the balls. <laughs> nice. This testicular torsion's returning mm, with a gusto. Yeah, it is funny because when you homeschool your kids, like this is what I'm discovering. My parents didn't need, didn't need to give me the birds and the bees dog, <clears throat> right? Because everyone on my street went to public school, and we all looked at porn all the time. Yeah, even 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 back in my day, forty <laughs> years ago, I'm turning forty. It's so weird. Forty tomorrow. Wow. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Can't believe it. But we're we're going to celebrate Monday. Just and right now over beers in my office, <laughs> clouds in my coffee and beer in my office. Mm-hmm. But uh, the funny thing is, you really do have to. Like, my parents did not have to safeguard my innocence because I didn't have any. Right. 
but I have to safeguard my kids' innocence, mm-hmm. and I don't know how to do that in a in a very um, well one without giggling. Okay, <laughs> let me just say that. But like, it's not that I don't know how to do that, but it is ten times harder to do it today. So, for instance, yeah, we're watching. We don't have cable, so we watch YouTube videos. I have, you know, whatever settings on to block inappropriate content or whatever. So we're watching Dude Perfect, one of the greatest channels mm. on YouTube. My son loves it. My son now identifies as an athlete. You didn't know where I was going with that one. I didn't. He identifies that as an athlete. I don't know as, what it is. <laughs> he, he is a stud. He just goes outside and plays soccer for hours and oh, hours. Oh, talking about Noah. Yeah, yeah, my son Noah. Yeah, not Thomas. Sorry. Switch kids yep. on you. Yep. And then in the <laughs> middle of Dude Perfect, it rolls the commercial, and they have, you know, maybe two 15-second commercials. And this one just goes, vagina! And it's, they scream it. And there's a neon sign above all these women of different body types and skin colors. And it's flashing, vagina, mm. vagina! And they just yell it. And then uh, and then it's like a very blunt ad about, oh, what was it? I, 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 I don't know. I don't think it was about periods. But it was something like that, you know. And I don't think it was that, though. Man, whatever. And so the we're all just sitting there. And the, the boys are like... I did something wrong and I'm sorry. And I'm like, whoa, 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 calm down, everyone, calm down. Mm-hmm. This is the, this, I've already turned the television off and I'm saying the rosary. You're fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. The area's been blessed. <laughs> I got some epiphany water, the second <laughs> epiphany. Uh, <laughs> but no, it's so crazy because in my life growing up, my parents thought we lived on a very safe neighborhood. Yeah. You know, we knew everyone. Yep. Uh, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, what bad thing is going to happen there? I was looking at hardcore triple X porn when I was, you know, I think I was maybe seven, so I was I was going into first grade, I believe, so six, seven years old in the summertime. My older brother's older friend's dad hid it from his wife by putting it in his son's closet, and he put it in a different VHS jacket, right? Mm-hmm. And so we thought we found, I think it was Indiana Jones and the Lost <laughs> Crusade, right? Last Crusade, not Lost Crusade. And they where's we, Indy? Where's <laughs> <it>? <laughs> oh, where's the whip? Oh, there it is. Oh God, no! <laughs> so we laugh now because it hurts. Um, right. But I remember. I remember every frame of the minute and a half that we watched. Mm-hmm. It's tattooed permanently on my brain. Yeah. And we knew it was wrong. No one ever said this is a mortal sin. No one ever talked about pornography. Mm-hmm. Now you can't go to a youth conference without someone talking to you. You head off the whole time, mostly because I'm the guy at the youth conference right. talking about it the whole time. <laughs> You're the Jason Everett at all those conferences. <laughs> I'm the poor man's Jason right. Everett who gave up on life. Um, right. But don't say right. But uh, you're supposed to say, like, no, Jason Everett's a poor Gomer. Poor man's right. Gomer. No, I'm thinking liturgically. I keep saying right. Oh, you're R-I-T-E. Yeah. Yep, okay. Yep. I'm sorry. It's a ritual. I get it. <laughs> but no, so we're just sitting there and, you know, I mean, or excuse me, like my whole <laughs> life growing up, I lived in an incredibly healthy environment but it the darkness still found me mm-hmm. now i think it's the opposite in terms of our culture like this stuff is being flung at kids i remember when i was in europe in um in austria for with franciscan and there was n- you know nudie magazines on display at every corner you know where you could buy like a newspaper that had those newsstands and, and oh, all those european yeah, yeah and i, I remember i saw this little like five-year-old kid just staring at the cover of a completely, you know, naked woman on the cover, mm-hmm. and he and it's not art. Like this is not meant to be, you know, yeah. some fancy model posing. You know, this is just straight smut, right? Mm. And it was straight smut. Right. And so he's just staring at it, <laughs> and I look, and I got in between him and the magazine. I go, no. And he looked at me, and he he blushed and all this stuff. And he goes, okay, and he stared down, 
And then his mom looked at me, and I was like, no. I, she was Italian. I don't – no. Right. <laughs> I said it with my hands like this. My wrists were going crazy. <laughs> but, like, I think about my kids. Like, you have to fight to keep that stuff away. Mm. Whereas in my my time growing up, you know, 40 years ago, gosh, I'm saying that now, four decades ago <laughs> when I was born, um, you had to, like, search it out. You know, it's like the exact yeah. opposite. And it's funny to me when you have a kid who's that <laughs> innocent. Like, all my kids are innocent. Like, I, right. I remember – so I was talking – I was reading a book on – it might have been Hold On To Your Kids, and they were talking about, like – Ages when nudity, when kids become aware of mm-hmm. their nakedness in front of other kids. So, right. they, you know, when you have little toddlers that run around the house naked, but then it clicks. Or so, it's like usually around three or four. And I'm like, mm-hmm. good Lord, I wish my kids were like that. They're, yeah. they're just like, you know, whatever. Like, should I get a shower now? And I'm like, oh, God, ah, just get out of here. Everyone's this is not naked. the YMCA locker room. <laughs> not yet. Again. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's interesting, too, the – I think – even even with that, the pornography being even at that age somewhat readily available, certainly probably not to the degree it is now. But, I mean, even just like middle school. I, I remember I went to public school, and I mean, seventh and eighth grade. In Ohio. In Cleveland. Um, Did you grow up with Bone Thugs and Harmony? Bum, 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 bum. Yeah, I mean, you know actually more of the songs than I do. God, I love both. I mean, I th- remember the one night you came over, we drank, and we literally just <laughs> We just listened, listened to like 20 seconds of every song I ever listened to <laughs> in middle school and high school. And we are just like, do you remember this? Do you remember this? And But even then, 7th and 8th grade, it was, I, I mean, you, you would hear like, did you did you hear Tommy and Lindsay? They, they, they got caught kissing yeah. at the basketball game. Yeah. On Tuesday afternoon, and it was like, oh my gosh, they were kissing. <gasps> and or we'd hear stories of parents showing up at people's houses where their parents were gone, and it's what oh, what happened? Oh, that you know, so and so they were they were kissing, they were making out in the corner, and Tommy's mom caught them, and it was like, oh my gosh, yeah. it's terrible. I can't even imagine what it would be like now, <laughs> and. I mean, I can understand the horror at the time. I could, being a parent for both of us in that position where we would, if we were to catch something like that. Well, especially when, as a parent, you have to then say, am I ready to go to jail for the rest of my life for murder? For murder. (laughs) Little little Tommy's about to die. He, uh. Big Tommy is too. uh, Yeah, or. Or he was impotent for the rest of his life yeah. because of the fear you. And now he has pets. Right. right. Full circle. <laughs> now we're back to the original question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it is it is funny. Like, the, I, I used to be so sensitive. Oh, I still am, I guess, sensitive around the issue of homeschooling because, like, number one, my wife was an adamant anti-homeschooler. Mm. She didn't want it. She grew up I a Catholic. That. I mean, I knew she. I, I shouldn't say she was anti-homeschooling. She was. Indifferent. Uh, no. Her desires, at the level of desire, mm-hmm. she, like, had a knee-jerk, like, ew, that's weird. You're weird. Everyone's weird. Her thumos was malformed. Her thumos. She was a thumos towards, uh, <laughs> as the as the athemia. Is, it, is that how you say it? Yeah. Athem, athumia? Athumia. Mm-hmm. Athumia. Mm-hmm. Athumia. I think, hook it on phonics working for me. <laughs> um, no, but th- she totally was turned off by the very idea of homeschooling. And for mm-hmm. her, going to public school is like, yeah, if you can't afford private school, you go there. The public school is second. Private school is first. Homeschooling is for the 
you know, the weirdos who think mm-hmm. the end of the world is coming. And so that's why they're stockpiling food on their 78 acres. And she probably didn't articulate it in exactly that way. <laughs> but um, I'll never forget her, like, slowly coming around to the thought because it was a Michael Moore movie. You remember that guy, Michael Moore, the yeah, bowling yeah. for Columbine stuff? Yeah. He did a video. <clears throat> a video. Uh, he did a VHS. <laughs> got it at we Blockbuster. We rewound it ten times. Yeah. We were being kind and we rewind. Did it. <laughs> yeah. uh, didn't work that way. Um, but uh, th- there was clips of it. There were like three or four minute clips of it. And they were talking about the, I think it was the Finnish education system and maybe the Japanese. Oh, and he was talking right. about the state of education and then the Americans and how awful it was. And mm-hmm. t- talking about everything from like cafeteria food to the amount of recess, all this stuff. So that started me on like this little, little okay, Gomer got religion about education. Mm. And I started, and so was Shannon. And one of our really good friends was a public school teacher for 30-something years, 31 years. Mm-hmm. Uh and she, like, she was everything you would want in a public school teacher. Uh, she didn't hide her Catholic faith. In fact, every Muslim kid, every Hindu kid, everyone would bring her gifts of rosaries for Christmas. Mary mm. said yes, and they'd hand it to her and stuff like that. Yeah. She, she was open about being pro-life and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But And the kids were open about their own faith. Like, it's, it's, it's the type of pluralism you wanted to see, where yeah. everyone was respectful um, and no one was mean or nasty or rude. But at the same time, you all had your own beliefs, so we can talk about them, yep. you know, kind of thing. Yeah. As opposed to like, shut up, we can't talk about religion. Oh my gosh, you brought up God. Uh, everything, you know, school's over. And oh, uh, oh God, oh I just said it. I just said it. What's happening? <laughs> my thuma. No. Uh, <laughs> but um, you know, she would talk about this, um, her her love of the kids and her joy of education, and it oozed out of her, right? But then what we started to notice is not. The teachers, and this is the thing I think a lot of us lose sight of, there is an apparatus, and that apparatus is Republican and Democrat caused, Mm. the National Education Association Teachers Union caused. All these different things go in to make not only the idea of educating an elementary school kid, something with a a manual that is at least a trillion pages long. I'm sure, like, how to be a teacher written out today with all the rules and regulations is longer than the U.S. tax code. And it's not like we've never taught kids before this, you know, but like the whole approach of modern education, like J.K. Chesson had it amazingly well where he said, we're educating our young people with theories of education that are younger than they are. Yeah. And you see it. And I see it. I see it in like in, in some of my middle school kids when I would ask them two very obvious questions that are easily linked Mm -hmm. and they couldn't, they couldn't do that. They couldn't create an analogy. They couldn't see it. And yeah. one kid just, like, stared down at the floor and started crying. And I'm like, I didn't even realize I was putting you on the spot. Like, what happened? So it opened her eyes more towards, okay, well, public school is not really an option for us. Like, the, mm. I live in the Woodlands. The Woodlands is, as it sounds, amazing public school in terms of the level of education, all that stuff. And then we started looking at private school. And we looked at a bunch of different private schools in the area. We have a parish school. But it was just too expensive for us to go to. And I qualified for, like, the maximum discounts. And I, in no way, shape, or form, could afford it. And you start asking, like, you start looking, and you see the same pattern with a lot of private schools, whether they're religious or not, Mm -hmm. where they're in imitation with the public schools for all the blue ribbons and all the things. So they do... Just as much as the public school kids do of textbook in class learning, yeah, and they have the you know the the shortest amount of recess, the shortest amount of physical education, 
And I, I just and that was one of the problems that Michael yeah. Moore, is, you know, I would call him a whack job liberal guy, um, but he was talking about. It. He was like, "This is insane." The highest rated kindergarten program in the world is the Finnish system, the mm-hmm. in Finland, and they have three hours of schooling a day, and like two hours is recess, right? And they are beating our kids at the, you know the various level of markers yeah. and stuff. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Too. I mean, I taught in the inner city charter schools in Cleveland before moving here. That must have been fun. Uh, well, you know what was really interesting about it was the um, the fact that the I mean the charter schools in Cleveland, Ohio, imitated or they I'm sorry they imitate uh, the Yes Prep and Kip, which is Kip, down, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, Knowledge is I'm power sorry. program. Yes, prep is in Cleveland. It's Kip. Um, um, Kip is the main one down here, yeah. but they all, I mean, they all, all these flourishing charter schools share resources. And even though they'd be in different States, you'd find mm-hmm. a lot of overlap and similarities. And we'd have our annual review where somebody would come from the, the Boston charter schools, which were super well-known and successful or the New York one, they'd come in to our classrooms just unexpectedly just pop in with board members and you're teaching a lesson and they just, you just have these people just walk into the back of your classroom. But it was interesting, at least with respect to Cleveland, but it was also in many other places as well. The, the charter school really started as a, as a counter to, or a kind of a healthy competition for the public schools, yeah. which were failing miserably. And what ended up happening was instead of becoming a healthy competition, they ended up taking over the public schools then almost doubled down in their spiraling decline. Yeah. Well, in, in the words of one episode of Law and Order. Dum, dum. Thank you. Gosh. Okay. I thought that, uh, we talked about this earlier, Brian. <laughs> you got the, you got, you could do it. Now the, uh, the, the, there was a line from one of the teachers. I think there was maybe a murder at a public school or something. And she said, all the private schools have the the wealthier, stable kids. Mm-hmm. All the charter schools took all of our talented, gifted, and behaved kids. Mm. So we get the leftovers, <laughs> and that's not fair. Yeah, and in a way, you can you can totally see how when you remove you're, you're removing elements of culture that could maybe uplift people who uh, you know right. if if you have three if you have a group of five friends <clears throat> and two of them take their studies seriously, right. That's going to change the group. If you have three of them that think your studies are stupid and you're an idiot, and I'm going to beat you up. Those kids are pro. Those two kids are probably going to drift away from that group. Now that group's probably going to get right. even worse. You yeah. Know? Oh yeah. Well, and even in the charter schools, I mean, they were. I mean, when those kids come in in fifth and sixth grade, I mean, they're reading if they're capable of reading at a second grade level or, Max, or around there. Yeah. Uh, and so. There's a lot of work to be done beforehand, yep. but what's interesting that generally the charter schools are very military-like. Mm-hmm. They're the the kids all wear uniforms. It's transitioned between halls. It's silent. If you they speak. learn how to fix bayonets, yeah, they. <laughs> that's right. They know how to just pretty much do a lot of things that that probably your average public school kid doesn't. But they when they transition the halls, I mean, if you speak, even if you try to get the attention of the teacher. It's immediate detention. I mean, it's very. They it was very. You. Yeah, they, they shoot you in the head. I'm sorry. Did you have a question? You did. Oh, okay. Okay. Anyone else have a question? I didn't think so. <laughs> Get the stepping. It's kind of the this is the scene from Happy Gilmore, right? Uh, my fingers hurt. Oh, oh now man. your back's gonna hurt because you just pulled garden duty. Yeah. Anyone else? Anyone else have any questions? 
but the but it, it was a but what was interesting is to go back to your your question, which was uh, your the thing you were saying about public schools. Even at the charter school, the the challenge was, you know, in some respects, there, your you, the charter school is set up to try to get them to escape these various forms of poverty, both material, yeah. intellectual. And my what I came to realize was actually I started in teaching there. I started reading John Taylor Gatto. Oh, you can't look back after reading him. Yeah, that's like that's one of those things where you read him and the veils pulled off. And like you can't I, re- put I remember on. reading an article on like the uh, Lou Rockwell dot com. You know, he's like a hardcore libertarian. Yeah, yeah. It might and, have been his Wall Street Journal one that made him very famous. Yeah, was, but you read this guy and you're like, ah, this guy's an extremist. Then you keep reading. You're like, oh, oh my gosh, I know exactly the people you're talking about. This guy was Pennsylvania State Teacher of the Year twice, and I he mean, resigned. Yeah, his, after so, a second one or something. Yeah, it was. His, I think it was in the mid '90s. He published an article in the Wall Street Journal called "I Quit," I think, and and that mm. kind of launched his him becoming a, a very well known critic of the public school system. And I, and actually, what was intriguing from his perspective was just the 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 very structure of the day was was intentional that yeah. it it was meant to deaden you and and prepare you for uh what would be a kind of an analogous form of work right so you would you would be prepared in the future for for the factory yeah yeah to work like this because uh how because the school system that you were part of for 12 years enabled you or Mm -hmm. set you up so that you could you would be able to do this and but yeah when you read gatto i mean his 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 insights are are pretty remarkable, especially in retrospect, where he eventually, over time, becomes a very big proponent of of homeschooling, and yeah. which again, even at, at that time, was not popular in in any respect. Yeah, um, and it is amazing how much homeschooling has taken off in the last, I would say, ten years, maybe yeah. even five, um, yeah. especially with COVID. But to go from like my wife, who was like, "We'll just give it a try, year by year." And we'll see if we like it, and if yeah. not, and if not, we'll send them to, you know, private school, Catholic school, and we'll just go from there. And um, I would say it was probably a year in. One day I come home, a year and six months in, and Shannon's just looking, and she's just beaming. I'm like, "What's going on? You must have had a good day." And she goes, "Mike, I've never felt more like a mom." I said, "Why? What happened?" Mm. She goes, "I taught Katiri to read." Now. I'm not, That's I don't awesome. want to deny anyone that, see, this is the thing. Once you talk about homeschooling, private school, public school, Catholic school, whatever, all of a sudden it engenders all these emotions. Well, that's not my experience. Blah, blah, blah. You're saying I'm not a good mom? No, I'm not. Yes. I'm saying, yeah, no. no, I'm saying that my wife never felt more, like you can't take away how she experienced that moment. Right. She taught her daughter how to read. Mm-hmm. She would eventually teach all of our kids how to read poorly. I taught them how to read well, but it's right. beside the point. Not an important distinction. Yeah. She got him over the initial hurdle. <laughs> I got him on the theological textbooks. It's beautiful. The manual tradition. It's fine yeah, yeah. for now. Um, yep. But uh, my kids are pre-Vatican too. The the reading of this <laughs> stuff, it's just it, it's just incredible. And then you see, like, you know, I talked to some of the best teachers in public school. I just had a friend of mine who used to be a teen, and she left being a teacher after X amount of years. She came to my wife to ask, like, what's it like homeschooling and blah, 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 because her mindset is framed around a normal public school work mm-hmm. day. But, like, if you're not shuffling in the halls, going between classes, you're not doing that. You are literally cutting out hours 
worth right. of school. So you can get just as much content done. You're not doing cra- classroom management. You're just working with one kid, yep. even when you have three other kids. And so it's just this amazing, incredible experience. But she was like, oh, I'm going to be so overwhelmed. How do I do it for all my kids? And it's like, no, 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 no. It's totally different. It's apples to oranges when you're thinking about teaching in class, teaching. And I, I probably had the hardest time getting that. Because yep. um, I would say to my kids, like, now, if you were in real school, <laughs> I would say right. that. I'd be like, you'd be in trouble right now for the way you're talking to your daddy, <laughs> you know, or whatever. But um, it was funny because for her, she, I asked her, well, why are you quitting public school? She was a beloved teacher. Yeah. She's, she's an incredible person. And she just said, I can no longer teach to the test. She's like, I thought I could right. get by with, you know, you teach the test, you know, these, these big state tests, federal tests, all this stuff. She said, I thought I could do it. I thought I could feel like a teacher and also be a test prep lackey. Mm-hmm. She goes, and I, I can't do it anymore. Yep. Uh, God bless the people who can. I'm not one of them. It's revolting to me. And I was like, holy yeah. moly. And, you know, just unfolding these things like, you know, my friend for 31 years who taught and how she explains, like, feeling again, you know, under the Bush administration with no child left behind. Yeah. That's where all this stuff ratcheted up. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Obama, the NEA, all this, it just they just add to it. Um, but now homeschooling has given us a freedom that has shocked me. Mm-hmm. Shocked me. It, freedom to, I mean, my kids are voracious readers, some right. more than others. Yep. But like Kateri right now, she does not care <clears throat> to read most fiction books. Right. But man, that girl's obsessed with saint stories. Mm-hmm. And she walked up and she grabbed my omnibus of St. Francis of Assisi. Right? You know, that was like yeah. an 800 page book. And she's like, oh my gosh. And so she's been reading like sections out of it. But I mean, they crush books. Yeah. Cecilia timed herself today. She had the Hunchback of Notre Dame and she, or yesterday, and mm-hmm. she put a timer on. And she read all three hundred and something <laughs> pages in the, the the classics, you know, the children's classics books. Right, she, all three hundred something pages in like forty five minutes, and she was like, "And done, yay!" <laughs> like, holy crap! Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, so it, it is. So I'm I'm I am bragging about my kids because they're better than your kids and anyone right. listening, right? Right, no, right, yeah. Probably yeah. not better than your kids. Your kids are pretty. Well, pretty I good. mean, Celine knows the rosary in Latin, and she can sing the Gloria at Mass. Without, yeah. without looking at a worship aid. That's I impressive. I can't do that. I know. I, I, I was going to say something to you. I felt bad. <laughs> he saw me with the book I outside. Like, oh, I was like, Sleen, pick the book up. If Mr. Gormley sees you, he'll feel real jealous. And then you're like, oh, wait, Mr. Gormley is at mass outside <laughs> because the church was so full. <laughs> well, Some things we do for love. Gosh, if we only had a sound system. Oh, well, wait a second. Oh. Nope. <laughs> I know the liturgy of the ordinary is from the 16th century, but does our technology have to be? <laughs> it is funny that the, the uh, how that how sound is such a sticking point. Uh, it, is sticking point. Uh, it is. Oh yeah. I mean, I've I've heard people after mass. You know, you really need to get a microphone, or you know, we really need a sound system in here. And the response is, yeah. Thanks for your opinion. I appreciate it. This is me off so much. <laughs> Whenever you sit in the back, you're like, dear God, get a sound system in here. Whenever you're sitting in the middle or the front, you're like, oh, this is more than fine. Kids can be screaming. No worries. And I was going to say, Mike, you're look. What? what? The reality is if you just listen to the prayers, we're not praying to you. Yeah. You are. <laughs> 
How do you, how are you identifying then right now? By saying that? <laughs> As Yahweh. It's very <laughs> I'm at least two of the three. <laughs> Even joking about this, there's someone that may not be appreciative. I know. Of... Right. I literally, as I made that <laughs> yes, joke, you said Father David Huss is sitting on my left-hand shoulder being like, nah, okay, okay, okay. Yes. I, I get jokes. <laughs> jokes are fun. People, I mean, I don't get jokes, but people laugh. I've I get heard it. others that talk about them. There was a reference once in a sitcom that something was apparently funny. Yep. But in this case, in I think you're taking it too far. It could be sacrilege. I'm not saying it is. I don't know. But it probably is. It might be, though. You should probably go to confession. To me. Right now. Here we go. So, Brian, what are you doing? What are you up to? What are we doing now? What do you want Um, to talk about? I don't know. Was that recorded? No, everything was recorded. 32 minutes and six seconds. Oh, wow. Beautiful. Homeschooling. Yeah, as we started talking, I was like, at some point, I go, oh, I wonder. We always joke, like, oh, why didn't we just record that conversation? I was like, well. That was actually me. I know. Luke called me the other day, and we were talking. I was checking in with him, and he goes, hey, man, just want to say that last couple podcasts have been great. You're doing great without me. Uh, Also, um, those sound pads are going to be so effing annoying. (laughs) And I was like, Luke, the whole time I was hitting him, I was thinking of you. And he's like, (laughs) you fucker, I knew you were. (laughs) Luke, if you don't like him. Then perhaps you should go ahead and start a different podcast. I mean, again, it's just if you're going to be kind of – it's kind of a thing now. Oh, look, I'm going through a tunnel. Sorry. Oh. Uh. <laughs> Sorry, I can't hear you. <laughs> As I hang up, that's the sound I make. Uh, those, are, those are good times. Were they? They weren't. No. They were not. No. My favorite thing that surprised me about homeschooling. Yeah. My favorite thing. Is uh, the discovery of the Robinson curriculum. Boom. I hope Shannon's listening. I know it's not live. (laughs) You hope she's in the hallway. I hope she's in the hallway. Because I often, when we have conversations, I'll say, man, just because to try to give her a hard time, I'll say, man, it's, I was like, yeah, it's just, this is why I I just, Michelle and I just really enjoy the the Robinson curriculum. She goes, you son of a. <laughs> it is funny that Shannon works one day a week for three and a half hours here in the office. The rest she works from home. And uh when she's here, I'm at home with the kiddos, and that's usually test day, so they doubly hate me when dad's the teacher. <laughs> it's so funny because uh I'm trying to get her to buy into the vision of the Robinson curriculum. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, even though I've talked about it several times, Arthur Robinson was a doctor, Caltech. His wife was, too. They were up in Oregon. They had a farm. They had their lab on the farm, so they worked from home, but they had a pretty sophisticated lab on their working farm. It was and a Benedict option, basically, before. But, but just their family, not without right. other families. Right. And uh, they're, you know, fundamentalist, evangelical, whatever, Christians, and his wife dies. So he has to figure out, how can I teach my kids everything they need to know without actually teaching them. Mm -hmm. So what he did was he brought in his work desk into the homeschool room and had all the kids clear off their desk. You could tell that the Robinson curriculum is a very like man centric, like this is invented by man. So it's like the wife would have never, a woman would never have created the curriculum like that. She would have cared more about their feelings. (laughs) He was like, bring your desk out. Nothing is to be on your desk except for the one subject you're working on. If the Saxon math, if that takes you 12 hours to do 30 problems, it takes you 12 hours to do 30 problems. Yeah. So all the kids every morning, they get up, they do their chores, and then they go, and he sits down to do his work day. And all the kids have Saxon math. So if you don't know Saxon math, also a controversial math, math program, which I love. But um, 
Saxon math is built around this idea that if you if anyone out there has ever taken like algebra one and then you went away on summer break and then forgot everything in algebra one and now you're doing algebra two and you're like, well, how do I? Mm-hmm. I don't know anything from the back then. Yep. Like, I vaguely remember these symbols, mm-hmm. right? His idea is you're going to forget all this crap. So you literally spend four years doing pre-algebra because every single day that you do math, you're re, um, you're going over the old material, mm-hmm. and they only add, like, five or six new things each time, and it's very incremental. Yep. So if you start with Saxon 5-4 four, four, when you're in fifth grade or fourth grade, advanced fourth grader, you start doing these things. Well, what Arthur Robinson did was, I'm going to buy all my kids these books. I'm going to sit them down in their chair. I had He had one ADHD kid, and he did not care yep. if it takes you 12 hours. And he said it would take his kid eight hours to do 30 math problems. So it's like out of the 30, 25 are review, five are um, something new, or three to five right. or something new. And it's amazing because he said it took my kid about a week to get wise to the fact that, like, no, this ain't changing. Daddy You're, ain't playing, honey. Daddy ain't playing. Uh and so they go and do this, and then they become these incredible self-learners. So everything else revolves around you do math, and then you read these books, and that's it. They're like, you want to learn history? I'm not giving you a history textbook. That's for chumps. I'm giving you biographies of the major players in right. the Civil War, the Revolutionary War, the you know whatever. And I'm not going to teach you fake science, which was the hardest thing for me to accept. It's a great insight. But I loved it. He said, fake science. You can't do real science without mathematics. You can't do it without calculus or at the very least geometry. And he goes, so why would I teach my kid faith, fake, math, uh, faith, fake science? Um, in this case, it was, um, you know, all the life sciences and biology. Right. He's like, the base of biology is chemistry. The basis of chemistry is physics. If you can't do math, you can't do physics. You can't do chemistry. You can't do biology. Why am I doing that? You're like, okay. So he would, you know, if his kids are interested in ants, he would go and buy a college textbook on ants, give it to his kid. The kid would look at the pictures, and then eventually he would read the articles. And then eventually he'd understand everything there was to know about ants. And um, all six of his kids became, number one, independent learners. Number two, they all became PhDs, every one of them. Um, And they're all, like, crazy successful. One son took over the business of running the Robinson curriculum thing. But it's 150 books plus the Saxon math books. That's K through 12. Right. It's yeah. crazy. Well, and I I love the idea of the independent learner. Like, what does that what does that actually mean? And what? It, but not only what it means, but what does that look like? And so I, you know, with our oldest, we discovered that in the curriculum that she was doing, well, the the schooling that she was doing was a hybrid, generally great program which we loved. But it, what we discovered was classical education yeah, model. Yeah. Was, uh, so you go to school two days a week, and then the other days you're at home doing the homeschool. So you actually have a teacher. But one of the things we discovered was there because uh, this is th- again this can even be one of the limitations of actual institutional school. They had timers, right? So we were going to do math for this amount of time. When we hit this amount of time, it's over and we move on. So yeah, just like moved. switching classes. Yeah, you know, you right. It's time to move on. And you have different types of learners, whether the class is 10 or it has 25. So uh, our oldest was, she's very meticulous. If she wrote the two wrong, she would erase it and write it correctly. So you think of the the meticulous nature of those things. She goes, goes a little bit slower but wasn't necessarily pushed, right, in the way that you think of Art Robinson saying, I don't care if it takes you eight hours. Yeah. You're going to do 30 problems. Whereas in this setting, it was, look, whatever's done after an hour is what's done. So we eventually came to discover, holy cow, she's only doing, she's not even doing 10 problems. And so 
we were just kind of we were trying to figure out what was going on and and then when we 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 switched to the strict homeschooling and and then there was there there was a there was some purification that had to take place when we were doing the Saxon math and we we kind of started with she would do a problem then I would do a problem which actually was a lot of fun it was it was actually a great opportunity for us to to do that together or or you know Michelle would do that with her yeah but then we we realized she has the capacity to do 30 problems and and now in an in an hour or less she can do 30 problems mm. and so it was but it was just it was the it was you needed to be just conditioned this way to be able to do this kind of quantity and it's it's it is incredible and so there there was that aspect the the quantity was really helpful and the discipline that it creates right now you become an independent learner we don't we don't teach her yeah. right she she will review the lesson herself but again with the saxon math you're getting all that constant regular review it's not everything's completely and entirely new but even with listening to robinson talk about reading and how you create independent learners is he, he says, which again kind of struck me as like, well, that sounds like a really bad idea. But he's like, I don't do phonics cards. I never did phonics with my kids. I don't sit here and go, sound this out. Duh, duh, duh. Right. Uh, that sounded like I was making fun of someone, but I was trying to do a phonics sound. <laughs> yeah. And, but he said, we, we don't do that. I just have them read yeah. and I have them read to me out loud. And if they get stuck on a word and they can't pronounce it, I say, don't pronounce the word, read the rest of the sentence and get, and that's your context. You can go back then and go, oh, the the word's lollipop. You didn't know that word. I didn't teach it to you. You just read the whole sentence without the word, and you said, it has to be lollipop. That word starts with an L, and the context clue of the entire sentence tells me that's the only thing it can be. You just, that what a tremendous and powerful form of using Crawford's language agency don't you hate me <laughs> but i mean really that that's what yeah. the experience of agency for them i mean that's what independent learning is about is they actually i i we could have been like okay now we're going to spend the next two hours and we're going to focus on law 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 right now we're going to we're going to go through that i'm not completely and entirely denigrating yeah. phonics i'm close though you are pretty close which yeah is me right on that on that edge there. yeah yeah uh, there's I, some good there's uh, <clears throat> When you have a language like English, it's very complicated because it has the Latin base mm-hmm. and the German base. And so trying to figure out the rules that kind of govern this stuff. Sure. But the smartest thing he said was – smartest thing he said. The insightful thing that he said <laughs> about reading was he's like – he was talking about someone asked him, well, what do you think about Latin? He goes, I think Latin would probably be good. You should probably learn Latin. And he goes, well, but I just never had my kids do it because I don't know Latin. And uh, I know a lot of language of science is Latin, but he goes, you know what? This is what we do. Like my kids read and this is how you learn a language. He's like, you read. And once you know enough, yeah. you kind of put it together and you're like, nah, that doesn't sound right. And he yeah. goes, and I realize in my, in my kids reading literature, like grammar comes second, not yes, first. Right. Exactly. And he said, reading comes first. Yeah. You get them to read all the time. And then you give them the rules so that they're doing it precisely, accurately, and they're able to express themselves clearly when it comes to writing. Yep. So for the Robinson curriculum, you do math for 30 problems. You get it done in 30 minutes, awesome. Three hours, awesome. You do 30 problems a day, and then, which is the lesson. And then you do a bunch of reading, and you have your reading. And then you have to write an essay on your reading every single day. Yep. So when you're a little kid, it might be two or three sentences. 
when you get older, it's a page. When you get older than that, you're writing two or three pages. Mm-hmm. And he said the inability – and for him, I just listened to another interview with him trying to woo my wife before she went to the homeschool store. My last ditch effort <laughs> at 7 o'clock in the morning. Um, we played this this the thing about it, and he was saying in an interview that at the thing that influenced him the most was how ill-prepared Caltech freshmen were. And he said, just think about Caltech. That's where Albert Einstein went to, was a professor at. Right? So you have this elite level. And he said, and the kids coming in have extremely high math scores, extremely high grades. He said, but then they come in. He's like, they knew how to game the system, basically, is what he right. was saying. And he said, they don't know how to write a paragraph mm-hmm. coherently. Right. Yeah, it doesn't have to be beautiful. It doesn't have to be flowery, flowery, but it does have to communicate, which I'm having trouble doing. Yeah, no, it's okay. I am four beers in. So, uh, it's it's, tomorrow's my birthday. Today's yep. the last day I'm a young adult. <laughs> so let's talk about homeschooling. Um, <laughs> that's what all young adults do for fun. Right. Uh, with my loafers and my, and my dress socks and my shorts. Um, Are those non-elastic socks? They're my compression socks. My wife puts them <laughs> on for me. Puts them. Beautiful. She's Three so helpful. Three people get that. I know. Maybe six. Maybe six. And if they listen. Yeah. Uh, so it, it is fascinating to hear because I was watching uh, comedian Nate Bergetsky. <laughs> he was talking about, he's like, you know what's funny with my three-year-old? There's a wonderful YouTube clip called um, like eight straight minutes of dad jokes with Nate. Mm-hmm. And it's a bunch of his different things. And he goes, you know, first grade, I'm killing it. Second grade, helping her with her homework. Third grade, ah, uh, <laughs> They kind of, ah, uh, They kind of throw some things in there. They make you like, ah, uh, what? Ooh, you got me. I don't know what that is. And he goes, and it's embarrassing being a grown man and not knowing what third grade. He's like, from basically <laughs> till high school, I should know everything you know and then some. <laughs> and he's like, but they're throwing things at you. I, I, I don't know. And he so was talking. True. He goes, I didn't even know there were rules. Did you know, for instance, there's a rule? God Governing when you use a and an, <laughs> and then he said, "I just thought you kind of like feel it out, yeah. you know." And I thought that was so funny because that reminded me of Art yeah. uh, Robinson talking about like, yeah, you give them grammar later, you let right. them do all this reading, or you read aloud to them. That's where the read aloud handbook is so powerful. Yeah, you read aloud to the kids just tonight, right? I'm going through George MacDonald's The Princess and the Goblin, which that book is credited by like Chesterton, C.S. Lewis. Other people, uh, Dorothy mm-hmm. Sayers, as like the most important book from uh, that they've ever read, mm. right? Like the book that changed their lives is George right. MacDonald's *The Princess and the Goblin*. And as I'm, re- it's hilarious. Number one, it is a, mm. it is absolutely hilarious. But he is talking to the reader as much as he's telling the reader about the story of *The Princess and right. the Goblin*, and it's so funny. But um, I read aloud to my kids all the time. Yep. My kids read to themselves all the time. My kids do reading for school, reading for fun. Uh, you know, we, I am probably the worst offender lately when we moved into our new house this last month of going onto YouTube and watching, I watch like a ton of DIY stuff mm. because my house is 20 years older than my previous house. So mm. now there's crap falling apart that I got to figure out. Like, how do you, yeah. how do you clean out a gutter? How do you trim tree branches that are yeah. 30 feet in the air? Like right. all this stuff. <laughs> so I'm like, oh my yard. Oh good God. But so there's all this stuff that all these projects that we're trying to do and and I realize like, oh no, I'm getting caught in the algorithm loop is dragging me under. Yep. So shut it all off. Everyone get out a book. And of yep. course I have the Matthew Crawford article that we're not gonna talk about. Maybe. Um, maybe, who knows? That's why I threw the word agency in there. I'm gonna keep giving you like clues. No, okay. <laughs> yeah, when are we gonna end this crap? But no, it's fascinating to see them be independent learners. Yeah. And like but but that I think that's the sin of classical education. 
because it's like, and, and this is why I never did those hybrid schools. One, because I thought they robbed you of your liberty. Like I'm homeschooling so my kids can be free to pursue and I can be free to teach whatever the hell I want. So I don't want to be beholden to a curriculum right. that someone else imposes. Like if I don't like Rebecca math and I like Saxon, right. I don't want to do it. Well, you have to because this is what we teach you. <clears throat> Okay, whatever. That that's interesting. But then the other thing is, there's this tendency in classical schools, classical education models, and push back if you if you feel like you need to, where like it's becoming the more is more. Like, oh, oh, your kids haven't read Chaucer yet. Yeah, I mean, there's two different types of quantity, right? I mean, that's what we realized. I mean, there was there's a sense in which the particular curriculum that we were using for the hybrid was we actually we we actually came to to not like it because it was too much yeah. you you hit a certain age and they hit third grade and it's like oh my yeah. goodness gracious we're on another level yeah and then when they're hitting seventh grade whoa we go to a new level and then they hit ninth grade and it happens again and so there it's all there's there can be i'm not saying it's the case with all the classical schools or, or hybrid models but there there can almost tend to be a quantity for its own sake instead of but, but yeah now, that's what i mean yeah. yeah but now it's like when i when I hear robinson I'm like 30 30 math problems i was like oh my gosh that's that's ridiculous but you have overall the quantity of things that you're doing is significantly less Mm -hmm. so if you're doing a little bit more within each particular subject then it's not so daunting and i think you do as you mentioned i think you do experience more of that you know that liberty that flexibility even with a school even if it's a classical or hybrid school you're still under the gun of well okay well what if the what if everybody in the house gets sick or you know, what, what if we have to move or what, just yeah. things in life happen and you're, there, there's really not much that you can do about it. You just have to sort of keep going. And whereas, you know, other, in, in other ways it's like, well, if you were strictly homeschooling, you could say, Hey, uh, you know, the couple that we know, it's like, Hey, we're strictly homeschooling, giving birth to a baby in January. Uh, we're taking the entire month of January off and perhaps some of February too. So we're going to kick things up a little bit more in the, in the fall semester. And then like, what a great, what an awesome experience. You don't have to say, well, how in the world am I going to homeschool the kids postpartum, you know, yeah. after the baby's born? And yeah. it's like, yeah, you don't have so to. like for us, we just did that big move. Yeah. And it was fascinating for me because I am super busy at work, worky work here where we are recording at 1030 at night. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm doing this stuff and we're getting the move ready and we're doing, I'm trying to do the podcast. So there's all these like balls I'm trying to keep up in the air. <laughs> that was the saddest sad trombone. Now that sounds like an actual person doing that. That sounds like, I'm sure it was. Yeah. They recorded that. No, but I mean, it sounds like someone's voice. It doesn't sound like an instrument. No, that sounds like an instrument. Play it again. No. I could, if I had some practice, I could totally do that. That's that Michael guy from uh, Police Academy. <laughs> what <laughs> yeah. is his name? Um, uh, oh, crap. What is his name? Michael Lewis? No. That's Michael the guy S- that wrote Hardball. Dang it. Michael, it'll come to me. Anywho, fascinating stuff with homeschooling. No, the we had to take off for almost for a month and a half. Um, yeah. In a certain way for moving houses, right? Because then it, our house was literally unusable mm-hmm. because they had they took three days of painting, then they did two days of carpet, and the whole upstairs is carpeted. Well, that's where all of our homeschooling stuff is. We're preparing to move, so we're condensing everything down to its minimalist thing. Shannon is 
you know, we're all painting and prepping and patching and doing all the stuff you have to do to get your home ready with four kids in the house. Right. So the question then becomes, how do you do that? Like, if they're a public school, they just get on a bus and they go to school. They're a private school. You drop them off and you come home and you do all the stuff. So it might have been easier to move without the kids there. So what a homeschool family just does is we say, eh, your spring break's going to suck because you're not going on one. And then you just find areas of doing it. Right. But what I did is I discovered <clears throat> I discovered the Robinson curriculum. Yeah. And I just said, kids, 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 don't tell me you didn't do homeschooling today. And they're like, we didn't. We didn't. Mommy didn't have her. They, Shannon makes these little bins where it's all ready. Right. I go, I said, you have like four different books where you just every week you do the next chapter. Every day you do the next chapter. Do the next chapter. So every morning at 840, you are doing math. So at 830, when I leave here to go to work, you are sitting down and you're doing math. But, 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 and when you know it, when you know, within, I would say, one week of them getting in that routine, number one, I didn't have to remind them. I was adamant, and then Shannon was adamant. She reinforced yep. it when I headed out. I didn't have to remind them. When you know it, they started waking up earlier and earlier, so or, or starting their math earlier and earlier, yep. so they could get it done. And they'd be like, okay, well, I got the math done. Now I have a spelling, reading, and this, and then I'm done for the day. And then they began doing this, because this is now their self-learning. But then some of the kids realize, well, if daddy is enforcing this math thing that no matter what math is to be done, they were like, well, let's just keep doing math. So yeah. in one day, my son Thomas, who is the hardest one to homeschool, ADHD, uh, cries the moment he doesn't get something. It's an immediate – it's the saddest little thing. He's so cute. But it's an immediate breakdown. It's very frustrating to try to deal with. Yeah. It's 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 hard to correct that behavior without feeling like a jerk because you're like, just stop. Just stop. Don't have feelings. Don't have emotions. Oh, do gross. Read, do you read McIntyre emotivism? You don't want that. You don't want you, that in your life. Come on. Ah, reason. Thumas. <laughs> and so uh, – no, and so after a while, I, I, so I just went up to him. He goes, Daddy, I did three math lessons today. And I'm like, Thomas, that's awesome. Like, you can do this. So one day I was home. I sat him down next to me, opened up his math textbook, and I always make him do more problems than Shannon does. Shannon's like, he's like, Mommy says that I don't have to do this top part. And I go, do I look like Mommy? Don't answer that. Do I look like Mommy? I said, don't answer that. Dad. And so he starts going, and he does this amazing stuff, right? He's And I'm like, you literally did an entire homework workbook page. In five minutes, that probably if I was your age, it would have taken me ten. Yeah, you just crushed it. Keep going. Well, I don't want to keep going. I want to go outside and play. And I go, how about this? If you do the next two pages, you can go outside and play for twenty minutes instead of fifteen. Really? Well, if I do the next, and they're all my kids are lawyers. They all negotiate. They're all the, <laughs> like, he goes, well, if I do the next five pages, can I have an hour? I go, yeah. So he he didn't do the next five pages because he's a mm-hmm. dummy. He did the next five chapters. Wow. It took him an hour and a half to finish everything yep. and for me to grade it. He goes outside. I was like, take a, take an extra half hour. You know what? He, that's take fine. The, take the week off. That was a week worth of class. Spring break. So then he comes back in, does three more lessons, all on his own. Not, I'm not finishes telling him the to. book in a single day. So I told him, I said, I want you to count to the end how many lessons you have to the end of this book. And he yep. counted. He had 15 chapters left. Every chapter is a lesson. 15 lessons left. I said, if you get this done, daddy will take you out. I'll get you a milkshake or, you know, yeah. do some thing. So he's like, okay, I think I'm done for today. And I'm like, come on, Thomas. Mm-hmm. So, no, he was done for that. I mean, he had done seven chapters at this point. He's fine. He comes back, and every day he would do, like, four instead of one. Right. 
And then he finishes in like three or four days. I can't do math, so I don't know how many. And he would finish, <laughs> and he would. He's like, Dad, here it is. Yeah. And I'm like, you, you did something on your own that when you did it with me, you cried, complained. Like the moment, like you go the full Robinson route where you're like, no, I'm not going to tell you how to answer this question. Yeah. Read the book. Yeah. The moment you do that, you give that you you take away their weapons of like, I'm yeah. going to get out of this by crying. And it's like, I don't care. Just go finish it. Cry all you want. You can I'll cry all you, you want. I'll, I'll, you can cry. Well, actually, the danger of the Robinson curriculum is that they finish the entire year in two to three months, and then they're done with school. Yeah. You know, no, then they get a job. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have much? I have a Great. big yard. They got yard work. Noah mowed the lawn for the first time. Uh, that's awesome. I have an electric lawn mower. It's battery operated. It's fine. It's very it's, lightweight. Yeah, it's not a big deal. No, it's cool. It's all yellow. A lot of people are doing that. A lot of people. Or they're hiring out. <laughs> but yeah. So I have kids, so I don't have to use hard work anymore. <laughs> but it is it is amazing because with the Robinson curriculum, what he did is he had his kids do, and this is the curriculum when you get it, when you buy it, it comes with a six day, a six day math plan, a school plan. You do school Monday to Saturday, and that's a real hard pill for people to swallow, especially when Saturdays are filled with sports and whatever. But he's like, great, before you go off to your soccer, yeah. do do your thirty problems of math, and you come back do the rest. You're like, huh, okay, but isn't that's not fun for the kids? And it's like, well, it it might not be, but when your kids are independent learners, they'll crush that work quicker. And you do lighter work on Saturdays. But what we're doing is we're just going to go all summer long. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's especially here in the Texas heat. Oh yeah. I mean, they're they're just going to be. We're outdoors more in the winter than we are in the summer. Yeah. I mean, I mean, again, even like swimming, right? Swimming can only be done for a little while in the summer because it just eventually starts to feel like a like a bathtub yeah. and it's not refreshing anymore and you're just you're kind of just getting warm so you're just getting pruny yeah yeah so i mean the heat is so so intense that just to be able to say hey we're going to do it doesn't necessarily have to even be every day but you're going to do okay it's tuesday summertime we're going to do 30 math problems they can knock it out pretty quick yeah and um i'm a big believer in his approach to math like yeah absolutely you need this language to navigate all of modern life right and most people hate math and they've allowed themselves to hate math because it's been terribly taught in school yeah oh i mean well it's a funny i mean as a teacher um i mean i was trained as a teacher one of the great things about teaching in a charter school was their whole model is sort of based on doesn't matter whether you have a teaching background or not. We can make you a good teacher, which is mm. true. Mm. Um, I mean, it's all about following these particular protocols, and particularly inner city, right, where it's like, how are you going to get the class to get to, to perceive that you are in authority? How do you do it? Yeah, well, I mean, it, and they, I mean, kids, I mean, they smell that on day one. Yeah. And if you don't have it by day three, you don't get it back without just being a dictator. I mean, yeah. really, and, and 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 you saw it with all the teachers, right? That clipboard comes to you, and you go, "Man, there's a lot of marks on here," and you know why? Because the kids just have sniffed out that teacher, and they just perceive we're just going to walk all over you. We're just going to crush you. What What do you think they're sniffing? Um, just a, I mean, what they're seeking. I mean, the whole school, right? And gen- again, going back to the charter school model. I mean, they're you know, there's they're walking in straight lines, quiet in between classes. They're wearing uniforms. Everything 
about the the school itself is structured and ordered and it's going somewhere and you know where that is uh, either directionally like physically with your movement or generally with the classes but the moment that you sense that you have a teacher that kind of is not in alignment with that i don't mean in an intentional way like they're trying to be cool or they're trying to be relatable or whatever it's just the moment that you somebody i mean i saw many teachers who taught for 15 plus years in public school come into the charter school and get torn to shreds quit within two months wow yeah because they were trying to do the like i'm around all these stiffs but i'm going to be the cool teacher uh, not even so so much there was some of that but it was i mean even people that were a little bit older it's like i mean i'm taught math i taught seventh grade math math for 20 years and it's like okay well you may have done that you may have been very good at it in those conditions but this is 80 percent of the kids in this class when they go home they're the mom or they're the dad they're making dinner for their siblings because their parents if they're around have mostly abandoned them if not physically emotionally so they're they're working two jobs they're not going home to do their homework they're going home to tend to the home wow so anything that they might learn in that 10 hour day will be undone in the next 10 hours. So that's and then what a, happens during the leftover four hours. They're sleeping. Oh, okay. God bless them. Yeah. They're sleeping, stretching, doing calisthenics, doing calisthenics, oh, orange theory. Was... Well, orange theory didn't exist back then. Pure but, bar. Yeah. Pure. Oh yeah. Yeah. Jazz pure bar. Jazz, oh man. So, okay. So these, so you're telling these teachers of 15 years, like you, you got to change it up or what? Well, I mean, it's hard to, you can't say uh, by, school year starts end of august well the other thing too that was hard about the charter schools was that they they were it was a longer school year because the communities were so ravished and torn apart that it was it was kind of this salvific sort of you know personality type of the school which was we're gonna we're gonna how are we gonna save these kids we're gonna keep them here longer so we have longer school day we have a longer school year um, I think te- I think generally teachers we had about three three weeks maybe f- maybe four weeks off and then we were back for teacher training you know they did pretty heavy intensive teacher training wow yeah yeah so but it, it, my general point was not to go into the tangent there but was to um, uh, yeah just to, uh, was saying where they 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 form you as a teacher but one of the great things about teaching generally is as I mentioned before the sense of agency so I think one of the 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 most profound things about homeschooling which is primarily for the mom is that you know everybody has their days where they go i feel like i'm i'm terrible i feel like i'm an awful teacher i don't want to teach them anymore this hasn't gone well or yeah their attitude or or whatever and you just you you, everybody has those days and that's just part of it that's part of the school too i mean if you're if you're in an actual school you have many days you come home you go those little shits (laughs) i mean they're just but but you know, yeah. that's that's part of the grind. It's the same teaching here, like teaching in Life Teen. Yeah. There were days where I left and I was like, no one loves Jesus anymore. <laughs> and it's all my fault. The like, end, I, the end is right around the corner. Yeah. The I mean, you probably nice. feel that way in the office, too. You're like, good grief. I thought I've educated my coworkers, but. Apparently. But then you the look other day across I the saw, hall. Yeah. You see me and you go, well. You got to start from scratch again. There's, go ahead and give me another Noah's Ark because this this needs to end. <laughs> But yeah, I think, but for moms, why, I mean, I think that sense of agency when 
they they see those things. It's yeah. the same thing you talk totally. about. You, you while wow, you teach, they're reading. Why are they reading? Because of me. Yeah. I mean that is that is incredible. And and the fact that most of us as parents in our lifetime we don't we don't get that opportunity. And I think most especially now the social cultural conditions, technological ones too, where we we have less and less experiences of real agency and of things that actually matter. And so to be able to say, well, I actually taught my kids math. I taught my kids how to read and, you know, like, dang, that's pretty, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. The, the kind of presupposition of the book, hold on to your kids is why do you want your kids learning about life from the people who have the least experience, AKA their friends? Right. And one of the biggest obstacles to homeschooling is the parents' mindset of, but they're going to be closed off. They're going to be socially awkward. It's always the social question. Right. When you, Socialization. When you talk, yeah, especially when you talk to older people like our parents, right? They're like, nah, are you sure you want to do that? Nowadays, especially in Texas, it is a non-issue. There are so many homeschool co-ops and organizations. and Right. Yeah, you say, oh, yeah, they're going to go to public school. You sure you want to do that? Yeah, yeah it's, it's the opposite. The, it's the reverse. Yeah, that's kind of funny. Uh, and again, we're not bashing school teachers. We're not bashing public schools or private schools. What, we, what you look at is you have this vast bureaucracy that has sat atop our government and our government's view of education, right? And their view of education is, well, they're not doing enough because test scores are fallen, so they need to do more. And often that is literally the opposite of what they need to do. They need to do more free time, more outside time, more running time, more physical exercise. Um, They took the most violent, uh, what do you call alternative school, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like the last ditch effort for the public school system to save kids from going to prison. And many of them were in juvie that allowed that, that bust them to the school. And it was, I want to say it was in Ohio. It was probably Cleveland because it's just like a kind of an S show. Yeah. Like it's like a, I just imagine that if you hit the flusher on a toilet, mm-hmm. the toilet is Ohio. Cause of the O. Yeah. Oh, yeah. right. But when all the water goes down in that gross pipe that you can't quite reach with right. your scrub brush, that's Cleveland. I say I would say that the streaks on the inside of the toilet would probably be Cleveland. No, that's Steubenville. Oh, not the school. <laughs> <laughs> that's their water system. That's why. Yikes! You accurate. Don't, you don't want to see the fish that they pull out of the, <laughs> out of the Ohio River. How did a fish come out of my faucet in the dorm room? You let the fire fall. Anywho, homeschooling. The, uh, <laughs> no, but so you, <laughs> the whole thing was you had this bureaucracy that sits atop <clears throat> that has its own demands and its own self serving ends. You know, Pope Francis had the great line when he first started his papacy of, uh, <laughs> it's not an illusion. That seemed lately. intentional that it you said that. It first started. <laughs> but he had this line talking about the church being self referential. Yeah. And I love that notion because you see dioceses, archdioceses, parishes, programs, ministries, whatever, just, it's like, we're just on a train where you're just reinforcing the same thing. I was talking with someone the other day and they're like, oh, why did they come out with this new curriculum? And it's like, cause they have to sell curriculum. Right. Like, it's not like it's better. It's not like it's adding anything. They just mm-hmm. have to sell it. Yep. So it's stuff like that that drives me insane. I kind of have an allergy to, but the, within the institutional craziness of, of, I like how you said it, institutional education, whether it's 
it's a school that has to answer to others, especially those yeah. who are not their parents. So curriculum purchasers, school boards, like all sorts of different things go in. But with homeschooling, you can say this kid needs to be outside 10 times more than that kid. Yeah. So my son, Thomas, if he isn't active, like he doesn't do schoolwork at a desk unless you're doing direct instruction and you have to sit at the desk with him. You have to make his world incredibly small to where the only thing that exists in the universe is your two faces and his homework on his desk. Mm -hmm. And then you can get up and leave. And what does he do immediately? He starts and we have everything. We got the fidget chairs that you can sit in, that you can move and and do. He's a wiggler. They're all wigglers. All my kids, even the kids without ADHD, which seems few and far between, they're all, they sprawl on the floor. They're doing their schoolwork. Yep. In between every subject, you'll see them run out to the trampoline, jump on the trampoline, or work on a gymnastics move that they're doing, and then they run back in. And I'm like, I, I can't get that anywhere else. Yeah, and what you realize, too, uh, is the fancy term here, right, the metricization of learning. But, I mean, even even something like when you get reviewed as a teacher, one yep. of the – this is from the Bloom Taxonomy – Right, oh, which is yeah, it, it's uh, it, it in some respects is is right in that it acknowledges uh, degrees of learning. So when you're when you're teaching something, if you're if you're just trying to get the sort of base form of knowledge, not the higher level of knowledge, you need to use these particular types of terminology and things like that. But again, I think it's a little overkill. But yeah, even something like what constitutes and and um, Gatto talks about this a lot, which uh, but I, I experienced this myself. Uh, when you get a review, uh, you know, you didn't do a lot of kinesthetic learning, but if I were to, um, if I were to have review questions, cut them up, put a type them on a piece of paper, cut them up, tape them onto different parts of the classroom and tell the kids to get up and go find the question with a partner and then answer the questions that constitutes kinesthetic learning. Basically, it's a negative, right? Kinesthetic learning means they're not sitting. Yeah. Oh, and it's like, well, well, no, I, I, th- th- that's just a box that I'm that I'm checking. Forced to check. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, oh, g- great, you had them move around the room, and it's like, uh, yeah, right, okay. That 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 I'm not <laughs> saying that's a bad idea. It's a creative idea, particularly in, in if you have like a long block. Uh, if you had like a 90 minute block, yeah, they good grief. Uh, I'm not criticizing block scheduling because many like it, but I think with teaching like a liberal arts thing, it, it can be provide can be challenging. But I, I just I found so much of the the metrics to be very artificial. Yeah, and again, not that they're they're entirely completely erroneous. I just again I, I find it to be. Uh, like, just, is this really what helps my students learn this subject matter? Mm-hmm. The fact that I'm now cutting it up, and or is it just busy work? Yeah. Right. So in homeschooling, you get to teach how you think that kid's going to learn it best. Yep. And if they need to get up and move around, they get up and move around because they're not disturbing 27 other people. Yeah, that's right. You know, and here's the funny thing. I had an ADHD moment where we went on a tangent for 20 Ooh, minutes. Ooh, go back to it. The question or the thing that I was bringing up was the alternative school. Remember when I said that? Yes, I remember that. Yes. Uh, this one lady, alternative school in Cleveland. That's when we started talking about the toilet bowl and then mm. we were off to the races. Whoopsie. Shit, I got to get medicine. Excuse. Um, <laughs> or, or maybe I shouldn't record Mike, it. Mike, Mike, no. over here. Oh, ah, that's ah. My uh, red ball. So what the lady did was she, uh, the lady, the teacher who was. Don't identify the gender. I'm sorry. The, oh gosh, the what do I, oh, non, the teacher. The, the non-gendered thing. 
I don't. Yeah, the human being. There you the go. The human being went to a local gym and asked if the guy would loan her to do a test. Would loan her his equipment, his uh, treadmill, especially any of them that you know he could part with. And I think he was renovating his gym, so he's getting all new stuff. So he agreed to loan him to the school. But it wasn't the school. She got permission from the principal to try an experiment in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And they would have the kids run on treadmills for like 25 minutes. And she said acts of violence in the classroom went mm-hmm. down. Oh, what was the phrase? It was 63%, something like that. Yeah. Principal began implementing it school-wide mm. in the classroom. It's awesome. They had treadmills. The kids would get up. And she had them do it for 30 minutes. The, mm-hmm. All these people were complaining. They're like, why would you do this for 30 minutes in a 60-minute class? And she goes, because if I don't have them do that, I have a five-minute class because I'm dealing with disruptive behavior right. the whole rest of the time. Yep. And she goes, and the kids are amazing after they do that. And if they do it every day, they do it multiple times a day. The kids are burning off. All I mean, you think about – this is the thing that I don't think people understand. That I think you did a good job painting. Kids that have – to go to this stuff or use this stuff, the the men that I see who are in prisons who don't have higher than a fourth or sixth grade education, they come from homes that are nothing but stress. Yeah. They're nothing but fear. They're nothing but anxiety. Yeah. And they come in a fight or flight response when they're walking down the hall of a school or in their own home or walking to school or from school. So to have a place where, one, it's safe. Okay, you want it to be safe. You do what you can. You do the yeah. metal detectors, whatever. But then you physically have them burn off the cortisol and epinephrine and yep. all of the stress of that. And you just have them go full tilt. Yep. And then they chill out and they sit down at their desk. She said, not only do they not have any energy, but they don't care to hurt people anymore. Right. So it ended up getting implemented in this one particular school. It's the Spark program. I talked about it on a previous yep. show. They implemented it in a school district. Mm-hmm. And they said, or no, it wasn't. It, no, it was throughout a, an entire high school. And they said, acts of violence went basically to zero. And you think about that in a modern school where there's always a fight here or there or whatever, but this is in a bad school that had multiple fights every day. Yeah. And it goes from that to almost nothing, like statistically, basically nothing. And they're like, why why wouldn't we do this? Well, you're taking up their school day. And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, actually our kids in this one particular school outdid, you know, the wealthy suburban two schools that they were comparing them to. Right. They beat them in test scores. So it's like there, there really yeah. are real remedies. Now, for, for Mike, I can't fix the local public school system. I can't fix the private school system. My right. parish school, I, I don't have any authority over that. You know what I do have? I have authority over my house. Yeah. And I can turn it into a wonderful place of experiments in physical education, in letting my daughter with ADHD have zero, what do you call it, where you, you submit? Uh, An IEP. Yeah. What, what is that? What is it? Uh, I, I, don't, uh, I don't remember what the Gosh. acronym stands for. But. Yeah. Uh, an accommodation. Yeah, accommodation, yeah. You so have I these accommodations the for... Other technical term. Yeah, yeah. For, for my daughter with her ADHD or generalized right. anxiety disorder. You take a timer and you say, do these 10 math problems in 30 seconds. My daughter will break down crying. Yeah, absolutely. And here's the funny thing. I have said, okay, no timer, no timer. Don't worry about it. Just do them as fast as you can, but just whatever. Okay, well, you know, and she's staring at me. Meanwhile, I set a timer. She gets it done. She gets it done faster than the timer, but it's that thing shuts her down. Yeah, that's right. Well, and the other thing about that, too, is as as soon as you go beyond a certain number of students, that intimacy and that Mm -hmm. ability to see 
you know what really works for the for each kid yeah. is gone, and yeah. you can't and and it's just you can't not try. You, you it's just it is. I'd say this doesn't matter what your attempts are. When you get past that number, the, hmm. you might get some different answers depending on who you talk to. But I think once you go past ten, I'd say maybe even maybe some wiggle room with twelve. Everybody has to be. If anyone you you find the general level, pretty much mm-hmm. everyone, and anyone that's below that level, there's not you can you can write them accommodations, but the things are unrealistic. You need to take this test in this amount of time. But what else in your life is like that? Mm. I mean, sure, you say, well, your deadlines at work, eh, not not. I, I've I've never found that ever to be the case. Yeah, where somebody says you you need to finish this and. 30 minutes. All right, Brian, you have six hours to write an essay on uh, why we need communion plates at Mass. I already wrote it. Oh, my dear Lord. Good for you. You're a super student. And then you get an award, a ribbon. You get a ribbon. <laughs> I get a tr- participation trophy. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, just, I'm just constantly amazed at the power of homeschool. And now not everyone can homeschool. And I don't want people who listen to this to be like, well, I don't homeschool. There are so many different ways you can approach this stuff. You can approach your child's education. It's not all. Here's another thing that I hate, and I'm totally guilty of this. I wonder if you're guilty of this. I don't probably. know if you are. Don't, don't even tell me, but you probably just presume. Well, I would presume, but I feel like you're a more even-keeled person, mm. and you don't live within this bubble of insecurity that I always do. <laughs> And I'm insecure about my body. See, me too. Oh my oh. gosh. Actually, I mean, oh my gosh. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not insecure about my body. I fear. You fear your body. I fear uh, just life in general, just with mm. Michelle doing CrossFit. And, yeah. You know, I sleep with one eye open. I mean, she is of. a trainer. Yeah. That's why you were late today. Yeah, exactly. Yikes. She deadlifts me every night. <laughs> Get over here. Yep. What is that, Scorpion? Is someone playing Mortal Kombat? No, that's my wife. And that's her version of Pillow Talk. Help. <laughs> no, but what I was going to say is my insecurity is I constantly want to beat the standards. You know, it's like, oh, my daughter started Latin today. She's in third grade. Isn't that crazy doing Latin in third grade? And I'm like, where's my second grader? Oh, my second grader's doing Latin. Oh, isn't that far? You got a third grader. I do that. I totally do that. Like when I saw your fetus, Celine, praying the rosary in Latin, I'm like, well, crap. Look at you, Thomas. You're sick. Everyone, get upstairs now. Go to bed. Start praying the rosary in Latin. I don't care if you know. Independent (laughs) learners, you learn it. Figure it out. Have you done your 30 math problems today? Well, now you're doing 30 decades. (laughs) Oh, my Maria Grazia, I'm like, I'm going say it. Say it. Sing it like Schubert. Oh, that's awesome. Is that the Riddler? Oh, there it is. Hey, do you know what's great about you, Brian Jones? What's that? You haven't acted like a professor this entire time. You son of a bitch. Even though we talked about, like, it was like I was tempting you. I'm like, you know what? Let's just talk about you being a teacher the whole time. See if you bring it out. Man alive. So if, if you were to if you were to paint paint a picture of homeschooling, what does your day look like? Well, you got four kids. The youngest is uh, three? Three. No? Yep. Three. Yeah, she's reading the Lingua Latina, which is... Shut your, shut your. <laughs> no, just kidding. Papa, Papa. Yeah. Um, Start the <laughs> I do ecclesial Latin. Um, yeah, I mean, I, the generally we, when the kids wake up, when they get up, and uh, unless we have, you know, play date or something planned yeah. with another family. That's another thing. The kids get sleep. Oh, yeah. Well, no, it's, it's true. Yeah. It's true. I taught uh, a student who did gymnastics. She was pretty... 
high level um, in it. And she would go to school from school. She'd leave early school, you know, and then go to gymnastics, get home at seven, eight o'clock at night, eat dinner, go to bed, set her alarm for 2 a.m., wake up, do her homework. And if she had time, she'd go back to sleep. If she didn't, she'd be awake for the school day. So, yeah, you think about, you hear, now again, that's an extreme type of story, but it's, but again, when you read Gatto's account, it's, it's really not. I mean, when you think of just the general school day, extracurricular things, and, you know, really it's, it's hard to not, uh, even though it's not explicit and you try not to live that way, it's, it's hard not for the home to be kind of reduced to a hotel. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a physical apparatus where you sleep and you eat. Yeah. I, I think in a very real way. For most kids, for most subjects, for most kids, most of the time, uh, homework is an injustice. Like there are some yeah. subjects you have to do at home. You got to do some reading. You got to do some writing. Yeah. Whatever in a standard institutional school, right? You got it. Can't all be done in the classroom. But there's this thing. It's like I was just here for eight hours. You're telling me I got to go do this for four more. Yeah. That's stupid. Yeah. No. I mean, it, that was one of the, being a teacher. That was one of the things you, you mentioned. Some one of the things that struck you about homeschooling. But for me, it was. Just that the the kids don't even have a conceptual framework of what homework is. You say, if I say the term, I had to explain this the other day to the girls. Like, we were talking about homework. And I said, yeah, you know, if you go to a normal school, you have homework. And they're like, oh, they homeschool too? Like, see, your homework <laughs> is working at home, just like we do every every day. No, I spend, your teacher spends all day trying to get a concept across. Mm-hmm. And then you have to prove to that teacher that you got, in fact, the concept across. And the burden for all, almost every teacher, maybe excluding potentially math, is there, and I don't know why this is, but there's this sort of, uh, it, it's not appropriate, and it might even be like a rule of the school that you don't do homework in the classroom. That was a big thing in the charter school. We, homework is not to be done in the classroom. Because the classroom is about instruction, instruction. time. Yeah. Um, you can practice, but they don't do homework. Because then then they, they equate do the, the classroom with doing their homework. And hmm. and now I look at that and I just think, man, that is absurd. What do you think about the flipped model, right, to where they have instruction at home and they do their homework in the school? And so they have a teacher. So the instruction at home is usually via video, internet, whatever. Mm, right, right. So like uh, the Khan Academy. They yeah. go home and they learn the concepts and they come right. to class and they do their 30 problems. Right, right. So you have a teacher who's there when they can't get it. Yeah, I mean, I think if you have some kind of, uh, I mean, supplemental thing. I mean, independent learning puts the primacy on, on the student, but it doesn't mean that a teacher or the parent can't be supplemental. Right? Yep. I can give you some kind of context clues. But the teacher is not there to – I'm not there to, to answer this, to do the problem for you. I, I like, though, when Robinson said – when he said, you know, my, if my kid struggled with a math problem, I'm not going to tell them the answer. What I'm going to do is I'm going to do the sample problem. I'm going to show you what this looks like, how to do it. You're just going to imitate me. So then you – I don't even need to, uh, you know, really help you or assist you. Except maybe if I give you some kind of minimal context clue of, you know, what are, even like even the context the the concept of um, 
um, you know, one of my professors always used to use this for the how to understand divine revelation. But like the the problems in the bath, the in the bath, the answers <laughs> in the back of the math uh, yeah. book, right? It, you never never look there, never look there, because then you're cheating. But it was like no, once you see the answer in how it's done. It enables you now to go back to the problem and see it with a more clear lens. So he he would use that for as like an example for divine. What does divine revelation do to philosophy? Right. It was, oh yeah. It it gives you a new lens to return to the problem. Not like oh now I've got the answer. No, it's yeah. now it enables you to see the fullness of both the question and the answer in a new light. Do you know what that made me randomly think of? Um, oh man, I'm gonna forget his name. Cameron Bertuzzi is uh, capturing Christianity. He's a friend of Matt Fratty's on the verge of becoming Catholic. Huh, no. Really interesting guy. Really great guy. Um, I met him for coffee. Mm. And I had this two-hour exchange with him about uh, Sola Scriptura and different things. And just talking about, like, divine revelation is kind of like looking at the answers in the back of the book. Like, oh, oh this corrects you. When I was talking with him, he said, uh, you know, we, we were talking about soul scripture and different things. And he goes, I guess this is why, like, I love Protestantism because you kind of have to figure it all out by yourself. And in Catholicism, it's all kind of just handed to you. And then when he was on two weeks later, he was on Pints with Aquinas with Dr. Hahn and Matt Frad. And he said, like, someone in the, I think, Patreon page said, like, what's one good thing about Protestantism, one good thing about Catholicism? And for the Protestantism, he's like, gosh, that's really hard. I don't know. It was actually, uh, it's this idea of like, like you got to work for it, right? You're like, it's not all, you got to study the scriptures. You really got to know. You can't, you don't just get a catechism with all the doctrines and then that's it. That's all you believe. You got to kind of understand it for yourself. And I was thinking, I was like, that's as absurd <laughs> as, like, I on the surface that does sound, but see, number one, you're discounting, and this is what I said to him. I was like, you're discounting all the inherited teachings that you received. Right. That you, like, number one, why these books? Right. Why not my books with the, in the Old Testament? Why not the Orthodox books who have several more in the, you know, Second Temple Judaism type stuff? Why not this? Why not that? Why yeah. not the Shepherd of Hermes? Why not the Shack? Mm. Right. Like, whatever. Because you're inheriting a bunch of things that you actually were taught, were handed mm-hmm. on. That's it. But the other thing is, like, that's like saying, you know, like, you know what I love about being a Protestant when it comes to physics is I have to discover all the principles of physics myself. Right. <laughs> right. And all I have is three equations from Newton and one from Einstein. Yeah. Like, no, that's a, hor- that's a horrible way to advance the science of God, right, is I got to make it all up by myself. What do you think the error rate on a billion Christians <laughs> trying to figure this crap out I on their it. own? I got it. It's 70,000 or 50, whatever the new number is, 10,000 Protestants. I got denominated. it. I got it. No, you don't got it. Nah, you don't. You don't got it. No, 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 no. Check this out. The God the Father, God the Son, they're good. God the Holy Spirit's just the force. All right, settle down, four square. Take you it get easy. Out You've been watching too much Star Wars. Uh, not enough? Star Wars? May the fourth be with you. <laughs> Revenge of the fifth. <laughs> all right, this has been the weirdest episode of Catching Foxes ever. I think we can all agree really? on that. Yeah, I think it's been the pretty, weirdest. I think it's been pretty terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Almost spit on the microphone. You did, you did, but that's okay. That's the church's microphone. This is mine. This is my sweet baby. I would have had to pay for it. Well, where where can people follow you if they want to find out more about you, Brian Jones? Yikes! Follow me. What do you mean? Follow like on Twitter. You have Twitter. <laughs> you love social media. You have Facebooks. <laughs> do you have a Facebook? Did you ever? Did no. you ever? Uh, very brief time when I started. Well, because when Facebook started, 
it was literally just like, uh, it was a it was a locality thing. Yeah. It was this was literally a way to meet people that are single, ready on to the mingle. Camp. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Wait, were you still on campus when it came out? Um, so uh, let's see. I was at Franciscan so at 05. So yeah. No, was it was like 06, I think, when. Well, that it, it was so funny because it began spreading. Everyone was like, you have to request to keep your Franciscan at franciscan.edu uh, email address because they won't let you sign up unless you did. And oh, I mine yeah, had yeah. already shut down. And right. I'm like, no! I was so sad. And then they rolled out the geography one. I'm like, right. Houston, boom. I actually, um, I think my, the, uh, the sort of online dating thing was very early for me why I rejected it. Because I, I actually, a, a girl, yeah, you know, I'm clueless with a lot of all that stuff or with many aspects of life. But a, a girl had messaged me. And, and then, you know, I think she was in one of our groups and said, you know, she like, met me and knew these three people and it's like oh and then she's like yeah we i should know go. people yeah we should go get coffee sometime and and um but it was, it was and like, you did yeah. turns out she was cross-eyed you had to break <laughs> it off because you couldn't see eye to eye <laughs> oh man that's incredible i love that'll never i will laugh at that at that hard anytime i told that it. joke i can't remember where i was and it was the three people and they just went <laughs> And they looked at me, I just and I was myself. like, man, that just sounded cruel. I just sounded like I was making fun of cross-eyed girls. So then I just looked at them, and I did the only thing I knew to do, yeah. which is to finish the joke by saying, and I think she was seeing someone <laughs> on the side. <laughs> to them, it did not get it funnier. Not. But to me, it got a lot funnier. <laughs> Mike, you're cruel. Oh! Like, what did she do? To you? It seems like you have some woundedness. Maybe you should go on an axe retreat. And there it is. And there it is. There we go. 